Hey there, folks. This is Chris Osborne, and I'm super excited to welcome you to the inaugural episode of the Surviving Saturday podcast. This is a dream that Wendy's had for a while to be able to bring content in a different format to clients, friends, supporters, people who've been with us on our own journey, and also who we consider part of the Nurture Counseling family. In this episode, it's just introducing what the podcast is going to be about, the kinds of topics we're going to be addressing, and why we felt led to start a podcast now. It's not like there aren't any already out there. So we look forward to having you with us, and we're grateful for any time that you choose to spend listening or otherwise engaging in our teaching, training, and other offerings that we have designed to help folks flourish as we plumb our stories and find nurture and healing from God in the process. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Wendy Osborne, a counselor in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I am her husband, Chris, and we are so excited to welcome you to the Surviving Saturday podcast. Um, Wendy, why don't you tell folks uh, why a podcast now and how we come up with the Surviving Saturday concept? Okay. So I am um, a licensed counselor who works with children as young as three um, up to an indefinite age. And um, in my office, pretty much every day of the week, I have people who've been Christians most of their lives, if not their whole lives, come in and um, just be, they come in weighed down by the confusion over how hard life is and how long they've walked with Jesus. And they're just really despondent and confused. What and kind of challenges are they facing? What are you hearing them talk about? So a lot of people are dealing with kids who are anxious, um, with kids who are having trouble navigating the social um, requirements of life and regulating their emotions, people um, who are navigating deep disappointment, either alone or in the context of marriage or parenting or dealing with aging parents. What kind of things do you hear them saying with regard to faith or how that impacts how they're dealing with these challenges? Well, they say, I'm praying about it and I've been praying about this for a long time, but it seems like God is largely silent. So that's one thing that I hear a lot. Um, or I will have people say, I know the right answer to that question. And they're meaning that they have a, a scripture or multiple scriptures that they're ready to quote of how they should be dealing with a certain scenario, but yet they're left feeling deeply disappointed and afraid that life isn't going to get any better. And so they're confused about who God is in the moment. And then what does that um, confusion and frustration look like for them? What kinds of things do they you know, go to to try to deal with it? Well, a lot of times people come in feeling really guilty and really ashamed that they don't know what to do with God during an ongoing dark season of life. And so they are looking for strategies. They're looking for books. They're looking for sermons. They're looking for something that will tell their left brain a better way to think about things so that finally they can be the Christian they believe they're supposed to be. So I, I guess I'm curious then, um, it sounds like this work resonates with you deeply. What drew you in? What makes you uh, excited about being able to sit with people and give them hope in these kinds of struggles? How can you relate to it? 
Well, I think for a couple of reasons. One is I get a lot of similar questions, some of what I've mentioned, um, every single week in my office. And so I thought that there were probably a lot of other people who have similar questions, and this might be a good way to reach other people that might not otherwise come into my counseling office. Um, and I think the other is it just keeps me in a place of reflecting on the ways that I need Jesus, the ways that it's hard to find him, the ways that he shows up when I least expect him, um, the ways that um, life has set me up to want to trust him with my mind in ways that my body has not been able to as easily because of situations I've lived through. Now, this might be confusing to people out there who are listening, but I, I, you're the counselor. I thought that means you kind of have it all together and well, you're, the per- you're the answer person. Since you've lived with me for 30 years, <laughs> you know that's not true. That's right. Well, we, we, we both know that's true. And that's one of the things that we have a hope for about this podcast is to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit uh, uh, so you can you know hear more about sort of where we've come from and what we've been through that's, that's drawn us into this work. And quite frankly, it's work that I'm transitioning into. I've been a practicing lawyer for over 28 years uh, and I'm in the process of getting a counseling degree so I can come join Winnie in this work. Yes. And, and the reason for that is because it's, you know, in counseling rooms and in marriage retreats and conferences are the places where I think we've been impacted, where um, we've been at that kind of proverbial end of the rope or wondering why is this happening? Why is this so hard? And where we've been met with some real hope and encouragement and insight, but man, it's been a process. I mean, you know. Yeah, for me, and I find for a lot of the clients I sit with, there is a way that evil wraps people in shame when life is hard. And it's as if we Mm. feel that we must be doing something wrong to be putting ourselves in the place of so much suffering. And um, it can make it really painful to reach out to other people. It can make it even intimidating to reach out to God, honestly, because I think that there is um, this implicit belief that a lot of us hold that if we're suffering, we must be doing something wrong. And if we were the right kind of Christian, we wouldn't. Now, we know from Scripture, without even taking a deep dive, that that's not true. But that's often how we navigate life, particularly in our middle-class white Western world, that the goal is to try to circumvent suffering in any way that we can. I think that's, yeah, it can be where it's very difficult to separate out between, you know, what does the the Bible tell us? What does the Christian story tell us about being, you know, set free from shame and, and given a righteousness that we couldn't get on our own and fully redeemed? And yet there's this westernized culture, churchianity, some people call it version of like, Yep, there's still, you must not be doing it right if it's not working out for you, if you're not getting all the rewards and blessings or things aren't going smoothly. Um, and I think that's that that was difficult for us at many places in time. Um, can you say a little bit more about just how does evil use shame as a way of either keeping us small and isolated or disconnected from others? And why is that important? Well, I mean, oftentimes I'll have people come in and they'll say, I've never told anyone the sum total of this. Mm -hmm. And they'll say things like, doesn't my life sound like a Jerry uh, Springer show? And I'll say, no, it just sounds like you're human. And it sounds like you're fully aware of the things that are going on. But um, we feel the need to pull away often and to hide 
just like Adam and Eve in Genesis, when we feel that disruption in the the peace that we have with how life's going, with ourselves, with God, with others, we want to pull away and hide. And so that's really evidence of shame when I don't want to bring you in and let you see that I'm suffering because I'm so afraid that that is a statement about what is true of me. Yeah. And then shame sort of has that way of metastasizing and multiplying on itself because in my case, like sometimes it would cause me to do things or reach out to certain things for comfort and relief that would cause me more shame and yeah. <laughs> be like, well, I can't let people know now I'm that person doing yeah. that, having that particular struggle. And so I get further isolated and I yeah. get further disconnected yes. and evil's just sitting there, you know, cheering like, yes. this is great. I want to, you know, I love one of the things that you've said frequently, um, you know, evil is not creative. It can't create anything. It can't come up with anything new. It just tries to go around wrecking the good things that, that God has created. Right. Um, right. So can you speak then just a little bit? And we're going to, one of the themes I know we're going to talk about a lot is the role of story and the role of, of, of how we, we didn't come to our relationship just out of the blue, you know, um, innocent and, and ready to do good and ready to, to be great spouses. Um, and, and nobody does, but can you speak a little bit to the idea of uh, kind of story and, and, you know, why do you work with clients on going into um, you know, what's happened in the past to help them deal with things that are going on now? Well, because the past is always with us in the present unless we fully healed from it. So um, Friar Father, rather Richard Rohr, um, has this saying that I repeat often that which the pain, which is not transformed will always be transmitted. And so the pain of our past that has not been fully healed will come out in our present relationships. And so we go back to the past, partly because scripture is very clear in its call for us to remember. And I think that faith for the future looks at hope that we can um, glean from what God has done in the past. And so I think we have to go back to places where there's been heartache, where there's been rupture of relationship, where there's been a stunting of our growth, um, and let God tend to those places that evil has tried to um, mar and take out. And I think we'll stress uh, as you hear, as you keep listening with us over the podcast, that that is a long-term ongoing process. It's not like one counseling session. It's not 10 counseling sessions. No. It's lots of them. We're not saying that, say, hey, come come for counseling a lot. That's not the point. We're, we're talking about what we've experienced where we have been able to find these threads, to find these story elements that keep showing up and, and, and you know, uh, getting us. Um, I, I had a a relative one time that I was speaking with and, 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 and they raised a question about why do you have to dredge up the past? Why are you dredging up all the past? And I, I told this person, I said, well, I'm not dredging anything up. I am trying to find out why the past keeps showing up and biting me on the ass and getting me to do certain things. There are ways that I'm acting or reacting to things that don't feel like me or don't feel like present me. I'm a pretty mild mannered, you know, down to earth, gentle guy. And then uh, all of a sudden I'm smashing a glass or, you know, breaking a chair or something. Where is that coming from? Uh, and so it's kind of thinking about where is story showing up? And, and of course, we're not aware of it. Um, mm -hmm. How do people tend to become aware of story elements in kind of a marriage relationship typically? 
Well, I think it's the same in any relationship. I think they usually come in with a story of present harm. And then we begin to investigate together where the roots of that pain first got planted. Okay. And one of the things I know we'll talk about is the idea of living in storied. And that means living aware of our stories, living um, cognizant of, hey, you um, have a history and there are places you've been and things that have happened to you that are um, affecting how you respond when I act certain ways, mm-hmm. when I speak certain ways. Um, is it possible in becoming aware of one another's stories to to kind of use that badly and to, to do harm as we kind of become, as at least we see it in the other person? Yeah. I mean, I think if our goal isn't integrated personal healing and we're still out for self, then we're going to use any tool or coping strategy we get to save self, to preserve self. Right. And, and what does that look like? Um, just as a quick, for instance, for example, for you or for us. So, I mean, I'll have couples come in and I will often work with them together and then I will rotate working, um, one and the other and they'll come in and say, well, she told me this, well, she told me that. And they've, they've found a way to put me in the middle of their turmoil. Okay. And so they're basically both trying to use, um, strategies I've given them to help them see things against the other. So weaponizing them, if you will. Sure. Sure. Um, and, and the other thing I was thinking of is if I know it was in part of our story was it was easier for each of us to see and name the dysfunction in the other's family and recognize, you know, or the other self, the, or the other, other self. person. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It's easy to point out the flaw in the way, well, you're not getting this right, or you've got something to deal with or whatever. Or, um, you know, you need a timeout right now. You need uh-huh. to take a break. Not, you know, our own regulation of ourself, our own awareness of what we're bringing. Um, what do you right. think? Of- and I would say if we are not on the true road to healing ourselves, then we will be trying to do everything we can to get the other to serve us in our kingdom. Right. And and that's sort of what we talk about. Uh, you'll hear uh, come up through the podcast, the idea of unstoried living. There's a couple different ways to live unstoried. One is to just be oblivious, to, to oblivious, to, to think, oh, what? I had a great family. Everything was fine, which you may have, but yet you still were formed certain ways and given certain expectations that when they're not met, and most of the time, they're probably not going to be life being what it is. You have ways of reacting, ways of, of you know, either disappearing or bowing up or whatever. And we'll kind of unpack that. Um, another way to live on story, the way I did for a lot is, yes, I had a very chaotic home life growing up. My parents divorced when I was young. I saw a conflict, but damn it, I'm not going to be that. I am the good guy. I'm the nice guy. I got this. I saw how a man treated a woman terribly, and I'll never do any of that. Um, That was a form of of sort of denial and and not recognizing the weight that uh, my story particularly had. Yeah, and the goal here, I just want to underline, is never ever to malign or blame any person or parental unit in a family. Right. Okay. The, as Ephesians tells us, the fight is against powers and principalities of darkness. Evil will use anything at its disposal to steal, kill, and destroy the goodness of God in humanity. Yes. Who bears his image. And so the goal in looking back is not to place blame, but to see how evil has set the stage to mar the goodness of God and the glory and the calling of each of us. And I think as we 
understand with more kindness the, the ways that evil has worked in each of our stories in the past, that's how we gain that sensitivity. We, I mean, you and I navigate a lot of our conflict very differently now. Yes. I mean, this is 30 years in after a yes. lot of work. And it's still an ongoing process because we'll still lose it. We lost it earlier the day we were recording this. We kind of lost the tether with each other for a little bit, but we're able to get back a little quicker because we can see, oh, here's what's going on in me. Here's what it came from. Here's what's going on in you probably, or I can have curiosity about that instead of presuming, oh, I know how you think. I know what you think. Um, we, we give each other a chance to sort of well, tell me what you're feeling. Oh, well, and that's the difference of when we're operating out of a desire for both of us to flourish or for one of us to save face. I like that. I like that. Um, the other metaphor that will kind of uh, blend through this is this idea. And we've gotten a, a lot of this from uh, the Allender Center and the great work that those folks are doing there. But the idea of Shalom and the sort of Shalom arc. Um, can we speak to that for yes, just a second? Yes. Um, so the idea is uh, first that we're we're made for um, humanity was made for fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. When creation was was launched, it was good, it was right, and that longing that we have in our relationships with anybody in our family, our kids, our parents, our our spouse, that longing that we have for things to go well is a good thing. It's a God oriented thing. It's not just oh, I want life to be perfect and selfish. It's no, we were made for that. We were made for Eden. Yes. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, you spoke to this a little bit earlier, but say that uh, again, you know, Eden is is not here now. The fall has happened and evil comes in and shatters this idea. We can't have heaven now. We can't have. Right. We can't get back to Eden on our own, but we try. We try. And then that's sort of the third movement of the arc is Shalom sought. We each adopt different strategies or ways of trying to get that peacefulness, trying to get that connectedness, whatever it is. And they may be very dark ways. They may be really shiny, nice looking ways, like working really hard or being really devoted servants in the church. Or Right. Ministry. I was very dutiful and very sweet. I was Mr. Nice Guy. And I uh, you know, was nice and a smile to everybody, uh, but then I also disappear. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that I would find uh, myself trying to seek shalom is by dissociating, withdrawing, getting lost in TV, lost in work, lost on the internet, whatever it is. I didn't understand them. My body is looking for some kind of, oh, we need peace. We need relief. If we can't get it in relationship, then we'll just run from it. We'll check it out. If we can't make it happen, then we'll just give up on trying for it to happen. Yeah. And so what then, Wendy, would you say as we wrap this up, what does it look like um, to try to live with a view for shalom restored, to, to have a hope that, hey, Jesus is on the scene and that, um, uh, you know, he's at work. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where the complication comes in, um, because we really do live in a dark and broken world, and it really is hard to see the way. And so that's where I have to draw a lot on scripture's description of who Jesus really is um, so that I can borrow from that as I await him to come in the darkness. And so the, the earth as we live on it is a battlefield and I am looking for him as I scramble um, through each day. And so one day he will be back and all things will be made new. I mean, I think a lot about there will be a final tear that any human cries. 
but we don't know when that's coming. And in the meantime, our faith is, uh, you know, as somebody put it ages ago, just enough to see the next step. Yeah. You know, there's just enough light to take one more step before I collapse. And that's a lot of what the invitation was in our journey as things were falling apart between us and in the life that we thought we were supposed to have. We really had to start learning. I think I remember you reading, uh, was it Brother Lawrence's book, Practicing the Presence of God? Yes. Or, you know, we were taping up scriptures in our house, not because we dutifully do it, but because like, we need to remember this. We need to call this to mind. And one of our favorite verses that we use uh, when we do counseling intensives with couples is Zephaniah, I think it's 314. Um, uh, the Lord, your God is in your midst. Yeah, 317. The Lord, your God is in your midst. He's yes. mighty to save. Um, and then there's a part where, uh, am I getting it mixed up? But uh, he'll, um, I remember the, oh no, it's the Ecclesiastes verse, actually. I remember the bitterness and the gall. Yes. And yet this I call to mind and, and therefore, therefore I, I, I have, have hope. hope. Yes. Yes, that, that God is still with us. Yes. That God is still active and on the scene. And so this podcast, you know, we hope will be focused on, you know, honesty about Saturday. Saturday yes. is dark. Saturday yes. is hard. We're not going to whitewash things. If you know, you're looking for uh, 10 t- tips on how to have the happiest relationships everywhere and they'll work all the time, go somewhere else. That's not what we have for you here. Uh, but what we do have is honesty about, hey, Saturday is hard. Saturday is dark, but Sunday's coming. Resurrection power is available and God is available in present moments. I think that's what we had to learn, that he was real, he was available, and to be more connected to him in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of illness, loss, grief, whatever it was, God made himself available. And as we got more of that, we were able to love and connect with each other in a, in a better way. Absolutely. So as we go on in the podcast, we'll be sharing specific stories and unpacking them to let you see how we've learned to find healing and hope as we've investigated things that have formed us in the context of how we now live life. And so we hope that you will stay with us as we walk out the tenacious hope in the resurrection and in the God who makes all things new and how that is allowing us to survive Saturday. The Surviving Saturday podcast is brought to you by Nurture Counseling PLLC, a counseling teaching and training center based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. We help families flourish one story at a time. Nurture Counseling provides counseling, counseling intensive for couples, conflict resolution coaching, story work groups, seminars, workshops, and retreats to provide a safe and welcoming context for exploring the agonizing experiences of pain, brokenness, and evil that disrupt our lives, and that God often uses to nurture deeper trust and intimacy with Him and with each other. You can find us online at www.nurturecounseling.net.